Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we chat with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 27 of the Modern Classrooms podcast. We'll be bringing you dispatches from our recent Black Male Educator Professional Development cohort. My name is Kate Gaskell, Head of Teaching and Learning here at the Modern Classrooms Project, and I am really excited to be joined by two educators from that Black Male Educator Professional Development cohort, Dr. Delano Lamy and Khalid Love. Uh, let's start by letting our listeners get to know each of you a little bit. Uh, Delano, can you start by telling us uh, about yourself and your career in education? Um, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I moved to Georgia when I was young. I did middle school and high school in Georgia. And then I moved to Florida to go to undergrad and grad school. I did my master's and PhD in linguistics with a concentration in romance languages, specifically in Spanish. Um, I started teaching during grad school at the college where I attended in 2007. I was a TA, uh, but we actually had our own classes. So it was my first official experience teaching my own groups of, of students. Um, and then after that, I graduated and I uh, started teaching as an assistant professor in upstate New York. And then I spent uh, about a year and a half in Puerto Rico teaching. Um, I taught undergrad courses and grad courses in Spanish and, and linguistics. And then I moved to this area, to the DMV area, uh, to teach uh, Spanish at the high school level. And now I currently teach middle school uh, social studies, what we call individuals and societies in the IV program. And that's an, an immersion program. So I teach in Spanish. And yeah, that's it. Your journey has been fascinating. Um, you've taught in so many places. Uh, Khalid, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about you and um, your career. Yeah, um, thank you for, for having me, Kate. It's, it's an honor. So I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, um, Southern born, Southern bred. I did my undergraduate study in mathematics and black studies at Princeton. So I'm as much a, a writer and a reader as I am a mathematician. Kind of took a more traditional route um, I went back to Princeton to complete a post-bac program in, in teaching. Um, so I didn't do a teaching fellowship or a TFA or anything like that. Um, I student taught for a year at a middle school in Princeton um, before I came to D.C. And I've been in D.C. since 2017 teaching math at a charter school in Northeast D.C. Um, I've taught math at all levels from Algebra 1 up through pre-calculus and even a little bit of AP Calculus. So. Khalid, from already working with you, um, I know that I can confidently say I wish you would have been my math teacher. Uh, <laughs> I think math would have gone better. Um, um, Khalid, let's start with you. I'm curious, what drew you to the Modern Classrooms Project and this, and this model of teaching? Sure. So what drew me to the Modern Classrooms Project was, I guess, this desire to really betray the traditional rigid model of teaching and learning um, that's been going on for however many decades. And I think the pandemic created a set of conditions that demanded that educators be more creative and more innovative in their pedagogy than they ever have before. And so I work in a school context where I'm pretty familiar with um, the concepts and the ideas of self-paced learning and blended learning and mastery and what those things mean. 
But I think oftentimes, you know, in education, we overuse those terms to the point where they become platitudes. And I think, you know, even thinking about this, this pandemic, this entire pandemic year, I think the challenge that the pandemic presented was of how to really meaningfully, meaningfully use, you know, uh, as a teacher, the synchronous and asynchronous learning time we have in the classroom with our students. And so that's kind of why I came to Modern Classrooms and wanted to get that experience of, of trying to really figure out, you know, for me, teaching is, is an intellectual practice. And so I also wanted to be a part of an intellectual community um, of educator learners who were also interested in pushing the boundaries of our practice and, and building out innovative models of pedagogy that, you know, can really support our kids um, during and after this pandemic year. I love that. I So much of what you said, I was actually just even jotting notes. I, you know, as a believer, as a fellow believer that teaching is an intellectual practice, uh, it's been, you know, we're always, we're always growing and refining, of course, as educators this year has <laughs> accelerated that for, for so many schools, so many teachers. Um, I, I, I completely agree. Delano, what about you? What, what drew you to the Modern Costumes Project and this instructional framework of blended self-paced mastery-based learning? So I actually was introduced to Modern Classrooms before the pandemic started. Um, I kind of had already a basic knowledge of, of blended learning and like the flipped classroom uh, design from my first job that I had um, at the high school level. Uh, but I had a deeper introduction when I met Monty, which is one of the mentors for, for Modern Classrooms Project. And she kind of showed me, you know, her format and what she was doing in her, in her class. And I, I really liked the, the self-paced aspect of it and that you can use instructional videos, uh, for students to access, uh, information. And, and also the idea of being able to work closely with, with students. Like when I would kind of, I would, you know, be with Monty in her class sometimes visit, you know, visiting and just, I just saw how she would work with different students. And I knew that that was something that I needed for my students. Um, you know, I saw that there was uh, a struggle a lot of times with accessing the, the content and I struggled with being able to work with all of my students because I have, I had, or I have so many, you know, I have so many sections and, and, and I just knew that I needed to do something different. And when I saw this, I was like, okay, I, I think that this is what I need to try. The power of having a teacher you trust when you watch them and see what's worked for them and, you know, it, it makes all of this so much more accessible and possible for, for me, it was the same way. Delano, I, I love it when I get the opportunity to ask teachers this question, but why did you become a teacher? <laughs> uh, so uh, for some reason, I always wanted to teach. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know where it, where it came from. Um, and then I, even when, so before I did my, my, before I went to grad school, I kind of moved away from that idea of teaching. I did international studies in undergrad. And then I somehow I got in, I got interested in bilingualism and bilingual education. And so I actually, between undergrad and grad school, I actually came to the DMV area to go to George Mason to do um, bilingual education. 
And then I took a class in social linguistics. I fell in love with social linguistics and I moved back to Florida to study, to do my master's and PhD in social linguistics. And then from there, I, I knew that my goal was that I was going to teach, but it was really going to be at the college level. I, you know, because of circumstances, I ended up at, you know, a high school teaching and then a, a middle school. And I don't know, I, I, you know, it's taken me some time to get, to get used to teaching at the, at K, you know, K through 12, but I enjoy it. And what I really like is being able to, you know, I guess mainly I like to talk about topics that I'm passionate about, uh, particularly when it comes to languages and different societies and cultures. And, and I like the interaction with students and when they get interested in that also. And I like to see like the learning process and seeing them engaged in the content and acquiring this, the skills that we're, that we're covering. Like that, that gets me excited. And I also like to plan. <laughs> I actually really like the planning process. So that's something that, that I enjoy uh, when it comes to teaching. I was nodding my head <laughs> when you were sharing about, you know, about points like liking to plan and what other job do you get to talk about these really interesting topics? Like, like I, I want to talk about the rise of authoritarian states in the 20th <laughs> right. century. I just, I want to talk about that and I want to talk about it with teenagers. It's fun. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. So I, I hear you completely. It's, it, you know, it's one of the most challenging jobs in the world, but it's one of the best, really. What about you, Khalid? Why did you become a teacher? Yeah, so I think I, I had a pretty circuitous route to teaching. Teaching was not one of the first things that I actually said that I wanted to do when I was younger. Well, so many different things. I said I wanted to be a paleontologist. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a meteorologist. Like Whatever I was into at the point in time and, and during childhood is what I wanted to be. Um, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do or, or who I wanted to be yet, really, until I, I got to college and, and really fell in love with working with kids and, and teaching. I've tutored since I was a high school student myself. So that's always been at the core of, of what I like to do. I like to explain things to people. I like to explain math to people. I love to talk. Um, and I think one of the things that I reflected on with the question, it was um, my mother's a teacher. And so, you know, she was my first teacher before I ever even got into a, a school. She taught me my ABCs, she taught me how to count, taught me how to add. And so she cultivated within me this this authentic love of learning, right? And I, and I think I've carried that that ethic of learning with me ever since then. Um, and so I think that ethic of learning is, is part and parcel of my work as a teacher, which is why I love teaching too, because I think as a teacher, you have the opportunity to learn so much, right? Um, and I think it's not only you have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to learn as a teacher um, from the process of teaching. And so that's kind of part of the reason why I, became a teacher and, and what I love about it. But another another part of what I love about teaching um, is that I see it as an intimate form of justice work. Um, I, did, I, I did a lot of uh, student organizing in college. And so I think what drew me to teaching um, was my fierce commitment to justice and freedom, uh, particularly for Black children. And I envision a world where Black children can, can learn and, and grow and dream and really just exist, to just be um, in a safe and, and well manner. And so for me, I think education and, and teaching in particular is where we can begin to imagine and work toward that world, right? A world where we can really build Black futures in the way that a lot of our, you know, predecessors and ancestors had envisioned um, before us. So, and I think, you know, teaching is the, is the profession that really creates every other profession. Where, where, where would we be without teachers or, you know, people to learn from and people to, to train us to do things? So teaching is, every profession emanates from teaching. So it's very critical. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you both were members of our Black male educator professional development cohort. So this idea, you know, this idea of fostering Black excellence and fostering a better future through schools, you know, we hold that very, very near and dear as educators. And I'm interested for in your perspective on the role of the Black male teacher in American schools. So we know that Black boys, young Black men don't have enough teachers who look like them in our public schools. More than half of students in the public school system in our country are students of color, but only 2%, 2% of teachers are Black men. And I would say that this is deeper than representation, even if you, if you lack a Black male teacher. Um, but representation isn't everything. It is important. Again, I think having a black teacher is a black male teacher goes deeper. But what why does it matter for all students and particularly our black boys and young black men to have a black male teacher in their lives? So I think it matters to have black male teachers because those black boys can see themselves in me as a black male teacher and they can see that they have a positive impact or they can have a positive impact on their community. Also, there's more, I think there's more of a possibility for them to relate to someone who they, who's teaching them that actually looks like them and they can feel comfortable in building a relationship with, with that person. And I think in my case in particular, as a foreign language teacher, I was thinking about this, um, or at least someone who teaches content in a foreign language. I think it's important for them to see uh, someone like them teaching a foreign language because, you know, we we encourage students to to learn languages in in school, um, but a lot of times, at least for for Black students. They don't see people like them that look like them teaching foreign language a lot of times. There's, and I feel like sometimes they they may associate a certain group of people that speak a certain language with that language, right? And and I feel like in, in those cases, they can't see the possibility of them speaking that that language. So it could be Spanish, it could be, it could even be Chinese, right? Um and I think that if they are able to have a teacher that they see that, oh, wow, this teacher speaks Spanish, this teacher speaks Chinese, that's not, that's not like a weird thing for them to see like a Black person that's teaching these particular languages. And so they can see that that's actually something that they can do themselves. I don't think I had thought of that angle, Delano, about not only our Black male teachers being present in our schools, but really thinking about what they teach. And yeah, that's really powerful when we think about world languages and how that can you know, broaden the world to so many students. And I had not thought of that point. It's really compelling. Khalid, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, representation isn't everything. And I think representation can be limiting in certain respects. But I think, you know, we'd be remiss to say that representation doesn't matter. I think as a Black male math educator myself, there's a particular kind of responsibility that I have in teaching my students, right? And so every year I get a new set of students and they're, and they're coming to me with a set of, of attitudes and a set of dispositions and a set of preconceptions um, and experiences about what it means to learn math and what it means to learn math while Black. 
right? And so I think as a Black male math educator, I have a responsibility to to honor not just the content that I teach, but also honor you know the, the cultures that exist in the classroom and, and honor what the students are bringing in and, and, and not just create curriculum that they can respond to, but be responsive to what they're bringing into the classroom context. Um, so I think that's important. And I think in a more general context, I think it's really important for Black male educators to be in schools in a variety of capacities. Um, I think there's this prevailing narrative that Black men in schools exist overwhelmingly as disciplinarians and deans um, and as, as coaches and counselors, right? And I think there's something to be said about having Black men in schools in all these capacities, right? As, as counselors, as coaches, as deans, as content experts, as teachers, as teacher leaders. And so I think, you know, being an educator, I, I think it's really about expanding the definition of what an educator actually is, right? And so I think being an educator is not solely defined to being a classroom teacher. Um, I think, you know, in all the roles that Black men take on in schools, there's an opportunity to educate. And so I think that it's really important for Black men to be in schools, period, in whatever capacity that may be, whether it, you know, whatever capacity that may be. And I think that that would, that benefits everybody. You know what I'm saying? When we think about how to bring more Black men graduating from college today, when we think about how to bring them into our schools they're weighing their career options. They have have many options. What would you say to a young black man graduating from college today? What would you say to motivate him to become a teacher? I would say know your why. And I think, you know, in education, we, we talk a lot about knowing your why, but really knowing why you are going into this profession and, and what your commitments are and what your goals are um, as an educator. I think that's really important. I think it's also important in addition to to not only being honest and and clear about what your commitments are, I think you also have to be intentional about seeking out community and and opportunities for your own growth, both personally and professionally. I think one of the things that I learned, you know, early on in my career was that I could not, it was nobody's responsibility for my own growth except me. Right. And that I think that's, there were times where I tried to outsource that responsibility to other people, whether that be a coach or a principal or other teachers in the building. So I think, you know, that was a, a lesson that I had to learn as a, as a teacher, as a younger teacher, is that, you know, I had to act, actively seek out opportunities to grow and actively seek out community spaces where not only I could be valued as a, as a teacher and valued as an educator, but also add value to the community. And so I think just being intentional about that and, and seeking out mentorship. Delano, what about you? Kind of looking back, uh, what, what would you say? What would you say to a younger version of yourself or to young Black men graduating college today to motivate them to pursue a career in teaching? Um, I would tell them to think about the positive ways that they could influence uh, young Black boys like them who will eventually have to make that decision of either they're going to go to college or they're going to start a career And as a Black male educator, they can be an inspiration to to those boys. And another thing I would say to them is to to always have a high standard. I think that Black boys need to see that there are high standards. It's okay to have high standards. It's okay to be be pushed, to be challenged, to, to do the best that they can do. You know, we we know that our our black boys and our young black men in our classrooms they they need they need black male educators they need black male teachers. Um, but 
you know, all students do, but recruitment is only part of the game. Uh, we want to retain our teachers, particularly our teachers of color. In your opinion, what can school and district leaders do to retain teachers of color? That's a good question. <laughs> I think that, I think that it will, at least in my case, when I think about my experience, I think it's just having, just making sure they have the resources and making sure that they're able to do their job. I think that a lot of times teachers are are thrown into a, a situation where they're not really given the tools to be successful. We talk a lot about giving our students the tools to, to be successful. Um, I think that sometimes teachers don't really get that. And my experience as being a middle school student or a high school student is, I've noticed, is very different from the experience that I see my students having now. And I, you know, coming into coming into this um, environment, you know, from college, for me, it was an eye opener and really seeing, okay, I'm, I'm being you know, I'm being thrown into this and I'm not, I don't really have the tools to, to work with, uh, to work with my students. I try my best, you know, I, I work hard and I, I really try my best. I, you know, I have high standards for myself. I'm really hard on myself. And I just think that if, if teachers, you know, teachers in general, but I know we're talking about teachers of color. I just, I just think that teachers need to have the proper tools to work with with students and have that support to know that, okay, if I'm reaching out to admin, if I'm reaching out to whoever for help to, to work with my students to implement certain uh, programs, even, you know, in talking about modern classrooms, um, I'm, I'm hope I want to be able to get that support, you know? Yeah. All of those resources that really go into supporting a teacher. It's not just, it's not just the technology. It's also, you know, curricular resources, training, time, all of that. Yeah, it's it's so important. Uh, Khalid, what about you? Uh, what do you think our schools and district leaders can be doing to retain teachers of color? So it reminded me, the question reminded me of this article that I read recently about burnout versus demoralization. And I think it's really important for us as teachers and as, as an educator community to really tease out um, the difference, right? Because I think part of it is burnout. Um, I think part of it is like, you know, a lot of teachers, they, their flames extinguish after, uh, you know, several years and they leave the profession. But I think for a lot of teachers, they're not actually burnt out, but they're just demoralized by the set of circumstances that they have to, you know, be subjected to in schools and not feeling unsupported or feeling vilified or feeling demonized in schools um, and not feeling that they have the resources and tools to be their best selves. And so I think we have to be honest as, you know, educators um, about what the difference is and, and, and naming those differences and, and work to, to combat both burnout and demoralization. That is such an important point. I think that the language we use to talk about teachers, the support we give teachers, how we evaluate teachers, that all plays a really important role. And I, I think it speaks to that point of there's a difference between teachers burning out, being exhausted, you know, being unable to, to give anymore, but also a deeper point of demoralization that, that exists and what 
what our systems do to contribute to that. Absolutely. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to lift up some love from our teachers and, and then we'll be back with Colin Delano. Hey listeners, it's time to lift up a teacher voice in our Love From Our Teacher segment, although this week it's actually an administrative voice. Today we are going to hear from Cheryl Price. Hello, my name is Cheryl Price. I'm the principal of Concord High School in Concord, Michigan. I just completed a modern classroom project fellowship and I couldn't be more pleased or excited about what I learned and how I'm going to get to apply it. As an administrator, I applied the strategies and skill sets I learned to creating something for my parents um, and helping them understand more about some of the things that we do in school, like Google Classroom and utilizing the skills and strategies in the modern classroom project. I had accessibility and um, constant feedback from my mentor. Uh, She was able to help me with any of the problems that I had and I couldn't be happier with what I learned, the product that I created and the success that I think um, it will have with my parents. You too can receive support to develop a modern classroom of your own by signing up for our virtual mentorship program, where an expert teacher mentor will work with you one-on-one every step of the way. And just a reminder that we are registering folks for our summer institute. We plan to train over 1,000 teachers throughout the country through our virtual mentorship program. If you're interested in enrollment options, go to modernclassrooms.org slash summer hyphen institute. And that link is in the show notes. And now let's get back into it with Kate, Khalid, and Delano. Welcome back, everyone. At the beginning of the episode, we talked about how our two guests tonight, Dr. Delano Lamy and Khalid Love, were part of a recent scholarship cohort here at the Modern Classrooms Project to support Black male educators through our virtual mentorship program. Um, I have to, I have to pose the question to, to both of you. You are very ambitious teachers, who you're not only teaching during COVID nineteen. Um, you joined a scholarship cohort that was moving through our virtual mentorship program, which is a very comprehensive professional development experience. You did this mid-year. Uh, I'm curious, what elements of the training have you been able to implement uh, mid-year? And I guess kind of which elements have you given yourself grace to say, you know what, it's, it's going to wait until a brand new school year? Um, I've actually already uh, started making instructional videos for my students as we were doing uh, the program. And I've been using Edpuzzle to embed the questions throughout the, the videos. I think that's the easiest place to, to start. And I plan on, I actually plan on implementing my full unit in this, um, in this model during the, the last quarter with my eighth graders to see how it goes. Many, many of them have already had experiences with modern classrooms with other teachers, so they're already used to used to the model. One of the one of the parts that I haven't implemented just yet is the self-paced portion of it, and I haven't 
right now with you know as I, I as I was going through the program and, and making instructional videos I wasn't too strict about having uh, guided notes to go along with um, with the video I think that for when I implement the model for this last unit that I have for the school year I may hold off on being completely self-paced just because I don't know how some some of my students are going to handle that responsibility um, right now. Um, and so I think that I'm going to hold off on that for the for next year. Yeah, as um, as for me, I would agree with um, Delano. The instructional videos are probably the key component of the fellowship that I have integrated into my classroom. I've been, I'm pretty familiar with making instructional videos. I've been making instructional videos for um, several years since I've been at my current school using PlayPosit and other, other platforms. Um, I think in terms of what we'll, we'll have to wait until next year, I think a big part of remote learning has handicapped um, a lot of teachers' ability to really do the model justice. And so I think one of the things that I'm really excited about getting back into the building, into the classroom space physically is being able to actually design the classroom space to facilitate the instructional model. And so having designated spaces for exit tickets or, you know, having designated spaces for mastery checks and really using utilizing the classroom space to facilitate the self-pacing of the model um, is something that I'm really excited to get to um, once we are able to get back into the building. Yeah, I mean, any anyone who says that is a teacher after my own heart, really. Who says, uh, it, you know, it's been it's been helpful for remote learning, absolutely. But we can't wait to get back into the physical classrooms because of you know, and then listing those reasons. And I think self pacing is absolutely one of those areas that's just it's easier. It's easier face to face, and I would say mastery as well. You know, when you you know, it takes it takes a lot more clicks, takes a lot more effort to get a hold of our kids during remote teaching. When in physical school, of course, it could just be say their name and they come back to the mastery check table and we'll try this again. I think it'll be really interesting to watch educators. And we're really looking forward to supporting educators over the summer who here at Modern Classrooms who've only been able to implement in remote learning to do those, like you mentioned, kind of to, to facilitate, you know, classroom setup and what does this, how can we help kids self-pace? How can the physical environment of the classroom contribute to that? So I'm, I'm curious about your experiences through the virtual mentorship program. We have, we have teachers who are kind of, you know, considering signing up, maybe, maybe waiting till summer, maybe doing it now. Um, what would you tell teachers who are considering signing up for the professional development? Um, I would tell them to sign up. I think it's an opportunity to, you know, no matter whether you're a first year teacher or a 50th year teacher, I think that it definitely is a, a growthful opportunity. I think it's a learning experience. I think, you know, it's an opportunity at, at best to to learn about a framework that you could, you know, customize and utilize for your own classroom and your own, you know, in your own ways. And so I think one of the strengths of the program was that I got an opportunity to reflect on my practice, both at a philosophical level in terms of you know, my philosophy on teaching and, and learning and educating, but also on a more granular level in terms of just the day-to-day -day lessons and and then have that community where I can actually nerd out with other people in those same ways. We should get our uh, head of marketing on here and <laughs> say, like, we really want to talk about the power of nerding out through our professional <laughs> development because it's so possible. <laughs> Delano, what about you? What would you tell teachers who are considering signing up maybe this school year, maybe in the summer? What do you think? 
Yeah, I would tell teachers to definitely do it. it I, you know, at first when I was, you know, going to get started, I was a little nervous because, you know, it's the middle of the year, got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but, you know, as I started the program, I started doing the, the different assignments and, you know, attending the, the, the live sessions. It's, it's not a lot of work at all, um, but you learn, you learn a lot. Um, it's a very relaxed program. Uh, the mentors are easygoing. They're flexible with the due dates and they're extremely helpful and they give great detailed feedback for, you know, uh, for your rollout, right? It's definitely beneficial. I, I would recommend it a hundred percent. I think it's very rare that we get to talk to educators who are, who are new. You know, I think the, I think the final submission for your cohort, that was due less than a month ago, right? You're, you know, you're very, very new into this instructional shift. I know for me, self-pacing was the greatest shift that I had to make to the facilitation of my classroom as well as my own mindset. Uh, I'm curious for you right now, not even a month after completing the culminating submission for the virtual mentorship program, what has been the most difficult aspect of this to either wrap your mind around or the most difficult adjustment to make to your teaching practice? For me, I think it's the mastery base aspect. My current school is, I think, the first place where mastery based grading is done with fidelity, I, I believe. Um, and so I have experience with mastery based assessments. Uh, however, I think the difficult part about it is the idea of not allowing students to move forward if they haven't mastered the content or the or the skill, because you don't you don't want to hold students back, but at the same time, you don't want them to move forward if they haven't learned something, and so I think it's you know, having to uh, find that balance and also be willing to find different ways of assessing mastery. I think that sometimes uh, we have like an idea of what an assessment should should be. And sometimes that doesn't work for, for certain students. Or even if you have a student that may be uh, behind with the with the pacing, uh, you may need to adjust your your assessment to to see if they really mastered the, the the material. For me, that's the I think that that's the part where I'm just still trying to get uh, a handle on it. Yeah, I would say um, I think I guess two things. One is I think where the the experience has expanded my mindset has been in expanding my view of what mastery is and, and when and how it can take place and when and how and in what way students can show mastery. I think the mindset challenge for me, the biggest mindset challenge for me has been with with, with the self-pacing, relinquishing the control over the classroom space. And I think that that is something that a lot of teachers struggle with because I think the way that the model sort of gives the autonomy to students is a radical departure from what we as teachers are traditionally taught in terms of the tenets of teaching and classroom management and, you know, having control over every second of the classroom and what students do and when they do it. And so I think relinquishing that control is something that I've had to learn. And, and, and I guess in terms of unlearning, always having control over the classroom space. 
Khalid, that was so real for me. <laughs> uh, and I've heard many teachers say the same thing, that idea of kind of being comfortable with some more structured chaos in the room, because I think you're right. I think it goes against, it goes against what we're taught as teacher, as classroom manager, teacher, as facilitator of this perfectly orderly domain. And if it's not, then you're doing something wrong. When, you know, we talked about on the podcast before when oftentimes it's, it's going to look a little messier um, when you're just, when you're walking into a self-paced classroom than it does if there's one teacher up front teaching everything on the same day, um, regardless whether that's appropriate for every student in the room. Uh, I'm curious, Delana, was that, was that a challenge for you too? Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to envision cause you know, I, I'm, you know, we haven't, you know, fully implemented the model yet. And so, you know, I'm trying to envision how that's going to be for me, especially um, in virtual learning, you know, just right now, it's been difficult for me to manage my students and to monitor my students, you know, through a computer, through uh, Zoom and try to make sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to do and that they're, they're you know, completing uh, assignments and they're not, you know, off task watching a YouTube video or whatever it is, you know. It's going to be interesting to see how things are going to play out when students are completely self-paced and on completely different lessons, right? Like, you know, and, 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 you know, trying to manage that and, and, and making sure that at least those that are behind, you know, that they're, you know, eventually will be able to complete the lessons by the end. Yeah. I, I tell teachers who have recently come to modern classrooms that I think going into the physical classroom in the fall is going to be a relief, frankly, if, if you, you know, if you're finding that if you can make this mindset shift and uh, implement some of these structures coming back into the building is going to be, it's going to be easier to implement than it is in this remote setting right now. Or in some, for some teachers, you know, the hybrid setting hybrid can mean, 10 different things to 10 different teachers. So I, 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 I say that as an encouragement to, to both of you after working with several teachers, but to teachers who are listening from um, all around the world, that if you can do, if you've made elements of this work in remote learning, the sun will come out and you will be happy uh, when you get to implement in person. As we wrap up, I'm, I'd like to shift to the rewards that you're starting to see, even though this is fairly new, these ideas of blended self-paced mastery-based learning altogether as an instructional model. Again, you all just finished up less than a month ago, and you've been implementing elements of it along the way through our, through our professional development together. But what has been the most rewarding aspect of this, of this shift for you and for your students? So for me, I'm seeing right now at least with the instructional videos and how they're set up and you know having the questions um embedded and things like that i i think i'm seeing more engagement in um my students with the with the material and that's exciting to to see because you know i'm i'm you know as i said i'm going to be you know implementing a full unit uh, next quarter and so i'm 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 excited to see how 
engaged they'll be you know from the beginning of a unit and just moving throughout right and i think i think that that's like right now that's the best thing that i can i can get from my students at least to be engaged in the material yeah i think you know for me um i've been doing a lot of synchronous teaching this year actually and you know i know there's a lot of issues that schools a lot of challenges the schools have been facing across the, the country and the world with student engagement, student attendance. Um, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, I've, I've had pretty strong student attendance and engagement in my classes this year. Um, I think in terms of, of using the modern classroom instructional model, I think the most rewarding thing for, for me and the students has been learning together in real time. I think one of the things that we often forget is that this is a, a, a set of circumstances that we really have never, ever dealt with. And so we're all trying to figure this out as we go. And so it's a mix of trial and error. It's a mix of, you know, trying things as we go and learning from experience. And there's times where you fail. Um, but I think, you know, as long as you as you can fail, fail better. <laughs> and, and as long as you, you and your students have that trust there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for me. Um, and the biggest reward is is never losing the trust of the students. Um, whether that's in making shifts in the curriculum or, you know, making shifts in a learning model and, you know, students always, you know, having that trust in you that, you know, that we're going to get through this year. We're going to, you know, try our best. And then that's really all that we can, you know, really hope for. So I think it's just maintaining that trust over the course of a year that's been unlike any other. I love the grace that you're giving yourself and you're giving your students. It's good advice for all of us during these really difficult days. Um, Delano, Khalid, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really enjoyed this opportunity to speak with you. I, it's a school night and it is late. We got we to gotta sign off. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having us. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to specific topics we discussed in the show notes. And remember, you can learn more about our work at modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. Thank you for all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.